Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Vas Bednar, Executive Director of McMaster University's Master of Public Policy program, expert on Canadian business monopolies, and at one time at least, self-described millennial wonk star. Welcome to Shortcuts. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. Today on the show, melts and meltdowns. No Name's price freeze has melted, and Loblaws subsequently had a bit of its own public meltdown. And also the post-media newspaper chain in its own state of perpetual meltdown has left not but damp puddles where once stood some mighty big city dailies. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to you by Patricia Joyce, Carol Smith, Frank Longuil, Deborah Scott, Lisa Wilkinson, Lisa with two eyes, Michael Benham, Amber Napton, and Ryan. Hi, my name is Ryan and I work for a nonprofit in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I support Canterland for a variety of reasons, one of which being I appreciate the coverage of Canadian issues and media representation across all provinces and territories. I look forward to continue listening to Canterland, Shortcuts, Commons, and many other programs for the future. Keep up the good work, everyone. The no-name price freeze at Loblaws is no more. As the price freeze on no-name branded groceries also ends. Today it appears the grocery chain is trolling some unhappy customers. So as of January 31st, the price freeze on no-name products is over. <gasps> you may remember, and I know Bass remembers, but listeners may remember, that the Loblaw, the overall company, which is singular as opposed to Loblaws plural, which is the store chain. But anyway, you may remember that Loblaw announced a freeze on no-name products for about three months or so. To help hit the brakes on food inflation, we're freezing the price of all no-name products until January 31st. That's 1,500 essentials locked. And as the price freeze came to an end, there was news reporting about that, to which people had 
snarky and or critical tweets as people do, since tweets tend to be snarky and or critical, especially when talking about monopolistic or oligopolistic retail chains. It prompted a very interesting and uncharacteristic response from Loblaw on Twitter, and that took the form of about 26 tweets over a stretch of nine hours from 10.09 a.m. to 7.08 p.m. on the same day, January 31st, which was pretty weird because, like, that account had tweeted an average of 10 times per month in 2022. So this was really out of character. And all the tweets were really weird and snarky. And this is an account that is mostly just taking customer service, things like, oh, hi, we're sorry to hear about your disappointing experience. Please DM us and we'll look more into it. Instead, these were various responses like, we took a stand on the price freeze because we knew that the price of food was a huge concern for many Canadians. We're not done cutting grocery bills. This year, the average Canadian will save thousands of dollars. They pick no names over the national brands. Or we may be the face of food inflation, but we are not the cause. The staggering increase of costs throughout the food supply chain ended up on our shelves, leading to higher prices. We can say with confidence our profits aren't the reason for food inflation. Our grocery margins are flat. Suppliers' costs to us continue to climb, pushing prices higher. And this wasn't like messaging pushed out as broad pronouncements. These were replies to people who mostly just mentioned Loblaws in a tweet. Loblaws and the word prices or sometimes some combinations of the words no-name profits Edward Galen Weston, who's the head of the company. Vass, I imagine you saw this. What did you make of this uh, eruption when it came to your attention? I was very intrigued. I think the tweet I saw the most kind of chatter about, kind of cascading, was the one about, you know, on a $100 bill, we make about $4 of profits. And I think chatting about the profit element is probably where a lot of people's minds are at. There's been a loss of trust from long ago with Loblaw. Mm -hmm. Of course, people bring up bread price fixing. The Bureau's exploration of price fixing is still ongoing. But don't forget how the major grocers all conveniently ended hero pay around the same time. So this kind of skepticism and being kind of adversarial with the company is not that new, but it's been heightened, of course, when they're posting record profits and people are seeing the price of food going up. People are looking for radical transparency, not being scolded randomly when you haven't even tagged someone. I think we should view Twitter as more of an an outlet, not a place we're going to resolve what may be very valid misconceptions. Yeah, scolding is definitely the right word for it. And yeah, the over two dozen tweets, only about a third were replying to people who had like directly or indirectly engaged with them. In most cases, they seem to be sort of like seeking out comments to respond to. Mm-hmm. I mean, a friend of mine, and I only realized this like today, he sort of started, started to test it. Michael Wheeler, he happens to be a digital theater practitioner, and this, I guess, is a form of digital theater. Uh, he's, you know, he said, like, I have to test this strategy to see if it's the job of a human, and just tweeted out, very disappointed that Loblaws has dropped the price freeze on no-name items. I thought they cared about Canadians. And sure enough, 14 minutes later, he heard back, Michael, we know food prices continue to be top of mind for Canadians, etc. Mm. So, I mean, it's not new that people are angry or annoyed at Loblaws. This hour's 22 minutes has been making fun of them recently. Hi, Canada. It's me, Loblaws CEO, Galen Weston. I hate you, Galen Weston. And I've heard you loud and clear. You hate my dumb little guts. All because I've been gouging you on groceries and lining my pockets while the country burns. I hope you rot in hell, Galen Weston. (laughs) Well, I'm here to say I'm sorry. Is he being serious? Yes. But there's 
this hour, 22 minutes, similar things going back to the last recession, 2009 as well. As God is my witness, I'll never go hungry again. Don't worry, that's just a quote. I've never been hungry. I'm one of the richest men in the country. Thanks, Dad. They've long been a punchline and people have long been angry. Why all of a sudden last week do you suspect that something blew and they decided we're going to correct the record? We're going to go out of our way to correct the record with his randos. <laughs> Correcting the record with randos. You know, there have been different kind of parliamentary committees starting to engage uh, with the grocers even more. So there's kind of the sustained political scrutiny that could be inviting this. If they truly are the face of inflation to Canadians, then the ability to kind of be a, a trusted knowledge broker doesn't quite seem to be there. But let's be real. Loblaw is not just a grocer. And they also have some market power with certain supply chains as well. So in terms of why now and what at this moment, perhaps they had an explicit strategy to not engage before. One thing I did notice, and I don't know exactly what it signifies, is that the metadata in the tweets suggest that it was, in fact, someone else suddenly tweeting from some different platform. The tweets from that account, Loblaco, are usually from Salesforce Social Studio, which is like a you know general marketing customer service management thing, whereas all of a sudden, most of the tweets that day were from TweetDeck, which definitely suggests it was like, okay, someone else hopped on there. Maybe they were really starting to see the reputational risk of not trying to chime in and help people understand what's going on. But in terms of actually understanding what's going on, I think people want radical price transparency. That attempt with the $4 on the $100, why? You know, people are asking really important questions. Why? Why do my eggs cost this much? Why does this bag of dried beans cost this much? So maybe if they can actually do more to disclose and bring more transparency, that's the only way that they're going to build trust. We do have the Competition Bureau doing a study, conducting a study right now to study competition in Canada's grocery sector. But because the Competition Bureau does not yet have the ability to conduct market studies, they cannot compel the right documents from grocers to really understand. And we know mm. that Loblaw conflates their grocery earnings. They lump them in with cosmetics and pharmacy. So if we actually want to use our full policy toolkit, I would say and have said we should have a royal inquiry into inflation and the cost of basic goods so we can actually, and we've done this kind of in the past, we have historic precedent in Canada, so we can either, what's the cliche, put it to bed for Canadians that these price increases are justified or where are people truly capitalizing and, and hiding a price increase under the guise of inflation? Yeah, I mean, that is the question, I feel like, and that is the thing that, you know, the Toronto Star mm -hmm. explored in detail last year is the question of gross margins and also net earnings about the fact that not just have the profits increased, but the the, rel the profits relative to the costs have increased. Like the actual degree of profits seems to have firmly increased. And yes, they've sort of tried to, it's not necessarily obfuscation, but they've tried to explain there's certain segments that like cosmetics that disproportionately represent this or that. But I guess just looking at, I mean, I'm sure you've looked at the, like the, their earnings reports, like it does seem like the degree of profit has gone up beyond what it would be if it were just matching inflation, right? I haven't gotten deep in the creep on all of their earnings reports. But again, intuitively to Canadians, this firm is having trouble reconciling these dual narratives of historic record profits mm -hmm. with 
the price increases that people are seeing. So they're trying to justify and rationalize these price increases while telling a different story. And that story is more to shareholders, which says we are doing so awesome, more awesome than ever before. Could that largely be due to the fact that many more people have been sick consistently than ever before and are cleaning out Mm -hmm. kind of Shoppers Drug Mart and, uh, I don't know, trying to look good on Zoom? Sure, that could be a component, but they have fumbled in terms of rationalizing that back to people. One of the fun things you said, like, when they're trying to sort of try this dual narrative of, like, we really care about prices and also, fuck, we're making a shit ton of money, which they have to offer those to different audiences. And it's been kind of fun trying to see them thread that needle in their earnings calls. Mm. For those who don't know, earnings calls are, like, large public listed companies. When they release their quarterly reports, they'll do, like, a presentation, usually over some shared phone system where media can listen, but usually analysts from financial institutions ask questions. And so they're trying to basically talk up the company. And so, like, last spring, they, in this, this is quoted in Marco Chenovit's star story, they were kind of, seemed sort of blasé to inflation. Like, we don't really pay attention to that. We just look, try to match our competitors' prices. But by last fall, Galen Weston was delivering messages akin to sort of what you're seeing on Twitter now, where going out of their way to talk about how much they care about Canadians. As you know, we took the unprecedented step of freezing prices on Canada's second largest brand, No Name, locking down 1,500 items. The response has been overwhelmingly positive, leading to even stronger control brand sales outperformance since the announcement. We also added an incremental points days event in the quarter, offering exceptional points-based discounts across our entire business. Well, at the same time, not really offering much in the way of what they're doing, like how they're actually addressing it. They said, well, we added an extra points day in the fall. Mm. And they said, well, we had the no-name price freeze, which has actually been great for sales of no-name products. Yeah. That is super interesting to think about how they how they talk internally and how that messaging, now that they know that media is paying much closer attention to their earnings calls, or at least people other than maybe traditional business and markets reporters are paying attention to their earnings calls, they've started to try to include that messaging. Mm -hmm. And maybe people didn't realize when that price freeze on their private label brand, you know, the no-name brands was, was ending. And perhaps that was part of the impetus for starting to respond to people because they would notice if they had memorized or been drawn to consistently that brand that there were price changes. So perhaps that was the prompt for some of this. I'll call it chirping because that's really kind of what it seems like. Yeah, Sylvain Chalabois, the sort of controversial food professor, he had, but he had a reasonable question on Twitter about like, why does Loblaws attract so much of this public scorn and anger, whereas, you know, Metro is at least as bad. I mean, like, why Loblaws as opposed to, you know, Metro's or Metro, he didn't say Sobeys, but that's the other company that controls most of the grocery market in Canada. And Chris Selly of The Post had this observation, maybe because they don't put Hamish Q. Metro the Third on TV for everyone to hate. And this is this really interesting question of, like, the company that for a long time has basically foregrounded its billionaire owner as its mascot. Hi, I'm Galen Weston with another small way to help the planet. PC is about quality, innovation, and giving you more ways to save. I know food prices are top of mind these days. They just keep going up. Do you see shifting attitudes towards people's tolerance for wealth or extreme concentration of wealth? It's a big question. I think we see it with Roger Shaw and the Rogers family, you know, and this connects to 
I feel like I'm doing a Canada Land ad, but it does connect two of your major series, the one on Monopoly, but also the one on dynasties and and family wealth and how that contributes to income inequality. So I think Mm -hmm. it's not just when the CEO is the broker and face, but when Galen Weston sort of pantomimes as an everyman or is a little bit paternalistic to us talking about the care that they're taking, you know, during the pandemic in their stores. Every day now, it feels like a new part of our lives is impacted by COVID-19. Our stores are no different. So I wanted to share some things you're going to see changing in our supermarkets and pharmacies. And it's like you and the other major grocery stores all around the same time stopped hero pay. Like, how is that not collusive? You know, since then, to Canada's credit, Canada has made it illegal to fix wages. It was actually permissible before. So we did slightly update our competition law. They've been caught kind of, I would say, doing shady things in the past. So I think when you start to connect that in terms of the history of how the firm has behaved and how it treats Canadians and discerning shoppers, I think it's okay for people to be annoyed. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Fast, as you know, on this show, we like to duly note things. I would like to note, Julie, an op-ed on Passage, really good one, titled Canadian Media Spreads Police PR After Killing of Tyree Nichols by Chuka Ajikam. Interestingly, it's taking the task a Canadian press piece, and not a lot of people actually often take the task of Canadian press pieces. They're quite ubiquitous. It's, you know, Canadian press is a, a wire service. The stories are deliberately as superficially neutral as possible. But this was a curious one that didn't run to the byline, even on the Canadian press's own feed, even on their own site, which is un 
characteristic. But we're just basically just a roundup of Canadian police chiefs' reactions to the killing of Tyree Nichols. They all basically condemn it and in a way, their own way say, you know, this is the work of a few bad apples. We're doing our own things. And then the article is structured in a way it's just, you know, one quote or one tweet after another. And so the piece on Passage had the really clever idea of just basically juxtaposing each of those individual quotes with a police killing that had taken place in the city of that given police chief and alternating back and forth using those as counterpoints in a way that really illustrates the degree to which even an article like this just serves to really, really flatten an issue to a point of being misleading or unhelpful. I mean, not that you expect a Canadian press article, a news bulletin or whatever to be to go in a super amount of depth, but it is a case where the medium in this in this thing is like, here's just a wire story just rounding this stuff up, does serve to, frankly, obscure a lot of the depth to a degree that the author argues, and I, I would agree, gives a misleading picture of Canadian police chief's attitude toward, let's say, use of force and racial profiling broadly. That's powerful. I got to check it out. It was brought to our attention by our new managing editor, Annette. It's a good piece. Duly noted. Fast. What would you like to note, Dooley? I would like to note, Dooley, something I'm still working through my feelings on, but it's pretty fresh right now. And that is that the province of Ontario is considering how to improve the Consumer Protection Act. They have a paper that's out. There's some super promising stuff in there where I think they actually are going to kind of try to take on the subscription economy a little bit more. So this is very kind of hot right now in the U.S. in terms of you should be able to unsubscribe as easily as you subscribe oh. and stuff like that. Yes. I really like, you know, those one easy tricks in public policy land. And I, I'm a huge fan of consumer protection. Here's why my feelings are really mixed. Because I feel like when the government's spending our money, there's like press releases and ribbons to cut and clapping faces in the background. But this consultation paper, if you want to like actually learn what the government is proposing to do, it's it, it's kind of buried on a forgotten website that looks like it was last touched in 2003. The proposed changes are shared in a Word document with discussion questions about draft legal comment, which is not kind of how the average consumer thinks or speaks. Oh, is this OntarioCanada.com, that one? Yeah. So it's like, you know, when you nest something there, why don't you just kind of put the document on top of a volcano and like ask consumers to solve a series of increasingly complex riddles to actually access it. I, I'm being silly, but it's just consumer protection is such a rich policy area. And I think asking everyday people, especially now, and this goes back to some of the blah blah pain points and gripes and anxieties that people have, not doing that is such a missed opportunity and just sort of sneaking a Word document on that site with a very narrow window opportunity. That aspect, I think, is worth duly noting because it's just a miss. Obviously, I'm working through my appreciation and annoyance with that, but... It's what I wanted to shout out. The idea is that in principle, you shouldn't have to make a phone call to cancel something that you had signed up for online, like a, like a newspaper subscription. That's exactly it. And when they promoted the Blitz on this in the U.S., they used Planet Fitness as the example, which a lot of people got because it's renowned in the U.S. for, you know, you have to go offline, you have to call, you might have to fax something. It's ridiculous. I want to quit the gym. You want to quit? I want to quit the gym. <laughs> you do realize you won't have access to our new full-service Swedish spa. 
I want to quit the gym. Our time is precious and valuable. It should be easy. We don't want to waste time on subscribing, especially when we're trying to save money or we've been lured into a subscription trap and we didn't even know some of the time that we're on a recurring revenue basis. Duly noted. Post Media is also planning layoffs. That is according to an internal memo obtained by the Canadian press. Their report says 12 community newspapers in Alberta will be converted to digital-only formats. The iconic Calgary Herald building will soon be no more. Post Media has sold the building. So, Vass, we just talked about what happens when there's a monopoly or oligopoly that's doing very well. Now let's take a look at what happens when there's a monopoly that's not doing so well. Once again, a couple of weeks ago, there's been a round of layoffs at Post Media. That happens often, at least this time they did it after Christmas instead of before. And they're looking to cut about like 11% of the editorial workforce. In addition, they're closing the offices, the physical newsrooms of the Saskatoon Star Phoenix and Regina Leader Post, and will be moving those permanently to remote work. Which, I mean, you know, if you've never worked in a newsroom, it can be fun, it can be pleasant, especially if you're a younger journalist. Like, it's nice learning and doing stuff around people as opposed to just in your own little office slash closet. It's yet to be figured out exactly who and how many people are leaving, but the target that they're looking at is 11% of their editorial staff. That is not great, and it's been reported that in some cases, though, that could mean as much as, like, a quarter of a given newsroom. So I was trying to figure out, like, what is left of the local newspapers across Canada? Not like all of them, but Post Media runs the major broadsheets in most Canadian cities. Vancouver Sun, Edmonton Journal, Calgary Herald, Saskatoon, Regina, Windsor, Ottawa, and Montreal Gazette, which of course is the only English language daily there. And how much actual content is in each of these that is unique to the city as opposed to just syndicated or shared. And it is really, really sparse. I went through them all the Tuesday of this week, February 7th, and like the Vancouver Sun, minus columns and op-eds, there are four news articles that are unique to Vancouver. And those are probably published in the tabloid as well. The, the Alberta papers, about five articles each. In Montreal also, like four fucking news articles like about Montreal in the newspaper, plus like three columns slash editorials. And in Regina, as far as I could tell, the Regina Leader Post had exactly one article that was particular to Regina and that originated there as a, and didn't run also, it wasn't some Saskatchewan-wide thing that ran in the Saskatoon paper. So one reflection I had, especially as you were listing all the different newspapers, and this does tie back to our Loblaw conversation, is that when these outlets have become essentially private labels of a parent company, right, through that consolidation, the unfortunate reality is that it obscures the lack of choice and the ownership that exists in the marketplace. So it's harder for the average person to see and appreciate how you know, the ownership, you know, the ownership and consolidation is is sort of changing the marketplace because, again, the Montreal Gazette still looks like the Montreal Gazette. Although I imagine no one in a given city does this, but if you look at all the papers side by side, they all look identical. What do we lose when we don't have that local reporting? I think that's been harder to articulate than it should be. 
What is the point of a competition bureau if do things ever come of this? Is there any hope for a competition bureau to wade into media stuff? Or is, is the Roger Shaw thing the sort of like the test case? I mean, I think you could view C18 for all its faults as an extension of broader lowercase c competition policy. Remind me and our listeners what C18 is again. That's the Online News Act. And what does or will it do? If it continues forward, it will give news organizations more bargaining power to negotiate remuneration from large technology companies that might benefit from from sharing their stories. The idea is to force Google and Facebook to yeah, bargain with or at least cut side deals with the media outlets to compensate them for, it's not even exactly clear, but to, to give them money to share their wealth. Not everywhere and everything that we may want to intervene on competition-related needs to hinge on that one federal piece of legislation, which is why I point to consumer protection, you know, try to look at these other levers too. When it comes to news media, I don't have any major solutions for you. I've been amazed by the kind of um, tech bro approach that we've seen recently with the Toronto Star and, and the overstory and that implosion and maybe like Loblaw. News media has to be a more effectively cross-subsidized industry, right? Let's not forget Loblaw is much more than just a grocer, but our media institutions, unless they are experimenting with like online gambling, I think, Mm -hmm. previously maybe some were subsidized by real estate ownership in a way, right? Like the value of their their property holdings and how we're seeing that divestiture go or just sell-offs or how it keeps things afloat. Maybe that's like a more promising business future that we're going to see. Decisions around media policy are so, they're so often typically made by people in Toronto and Ottawa and Montreal, places that Mm. in Toronto and Montreal's case are reasonably well served by local media. And in Ottawa, people, chances are they're reading the national media mostly. What I'm saying is partly informed by the wonderful thread by the Toronto Star business feature writer Richard Warnica, who, after going back home to Edmonton recently and seeing the Edmonton Journal building kind of hollowed out, has been really tweeting angrily and passionately about this. I mean, erosion of local news is really like an unfair, cliched and flattening way. But I think unless you're someone who purely pays attention to this, chances are in most of Canada, you're not realizing how much drinking. And chances are, if you're in one of the centers where cultural and political policy get made, you're also not experiencing it yet to the same degree or noticing what's happening, even as we continue to subsidize these companies to just sort of keep afloat what he, what Richard Warnica termed as these like zombie publications. Well, and now we have the wrench of generative AI. Yeah. And what this could mean for the ad revenue through decreased click-through from search, as well as potentially more sophisticated kind of quote-unquote digital journalists. That's another disruption on the horizon that has major policy implications and also implications for the sustainability and, and revenue models of these businesses. So, I mean, as businesses, you know, keep cutting down on the types of journalism that cost more money, which is to say actual local reportings, but having one person spend even just a few days, let alone weeks, on a story reporting something and move more towards these decentralized models, things still happen. There is still news to be reported. Regina is a city of a quarter million people. I'm sure there are many stories. And, you know, as Warnica eloquently points out, and I will probably link to this thread in the show notes, there still is, at least theoretically, value to be had in having a good product with good local news and selling that directly to the people who will pay for that. It's not a panacea. Goodness knows people have tried and we've seen all kinds of things happen in Canada and all kinds of outcomes. But as to the extent that it is something that 
people value. And in a city like in Saskatchewan, where there is basically almost no mainstream print reporting locally, that does, in theory, create room for other players to try to actually invest in that and sell it on the strength of the product as opposed to large companies based elsewhere just re repeatedly degrading their product in an effort to, well, I wouldn't say increase profit margins because they're not really making a profit, but I guess reduce losses. I like what you're saying. This is an opportunity for people to take power back from corporations that have maybe dominated our lives, be it when we're shopping for groceries or when we're seeking out local news media. And better is always possible. I'm totally with you there. That's Shortcuts this week. Thanks for joining me, Vass. Thanks for having me. We are on Twitter at Candleland. Uh, I am on, still regrettably on Twitter at Goldsby and also kind of on Mastodon. Uh, you can also email me at Jonathan at Candleland.com. Where can people find you, Vass? I'm on Twitter at Vass B, and I limit my social media to that and LinkedIn. Ah, very smart. <laughs> This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofo. Theme music is by SoCalled. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism, which is, ties into what we just talked about. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canadaland merch, invites, and tickets to our live and virtual events. And more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. How <laughs> it ties in well again. And you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come and join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to candleland.com slash join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.